0: If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll be looking at verses 25 through 30 to begin the message. Uh, but over the past few weeks, we had been in a sermon series called Awakening. Now, let me ask you, how many of you are awake this morning? Good. So uh, I'm going to kind of talk to you about things that cause you to sleep. Now, as I was studying and as I was putting this message together, I am breaking every rule that a communicator can do. You don't talk about sleep when you preach. It's it's completely anti the thing that we do. So uh, I'm going to work hard this morning to keep you awake. Uh, but here's some of the things that cause us to sleep. A boring preacher. Don't amen. Thank you. Uh, sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's busyness. Have you ever gotten to your house, finally got there, walked in and said, my bed. Do people fall asleep? How many of you can fall asleep at the, I mean, just... How many of you, it's an act of Congress to fall asleep? Look, I'm in your camp. It has to be perfect, 71 degrees. I mean, it just, everything has to be laid out. Everybody has to be quiet. Everything has to be perfectly done to do this. Uh, An interesting thing in our country is that people going to sleep has become a problem. And so things like Benadryl, melatonin, sleep studies have become this big business on how to get people asleep. Now, the interesting thing is, we look at this this morning, there's really no sleep like a child's sleep. Have you ever wondered how kids kind of fall asleep in different spots? Let me prove this to you just a little bit. (laughs) Like, all it took was a blankie. Now, can you imagine just I was standing, I was standing, and I'm out? I mean, just worn out. Here's the next one. I got to be honest, when I walk through Ikea, I feel the exact same way. I mean, it's just, Lord, please put me to sleep. Uh, We were actually shopping uh, on Friday night at TJ Maxx, which is what you do apparently if you have daughters, um, on a Friday night, and there was this little girl, and she was out, and I was like, man, I wish they had an adult-sized buggy. Um, This is actually a child, (laughs) I don't know if you can see that, uh, but that child has snuggled up with that dog. And uh, I always wonder what happens when the dog barks. Does it just kind of put the child even more to sleep? Uh, But there's no tired like a child that just... Falls asleep. And so I I want you to think this morning, what are some of the things that you've done to get your children to fall asleep? Now, uh, for us, it was singing lullabies, it was rocking. Uh, A a fun fact about me and my family, uh, I rocked my children to sleep pretty much the first two years of their life. Uh, When we had a second child, we got an oversized recliner so I could rock them to sleep. There is nothing sweeter than just rocking your kids to sleep. Amen? There's nothing sweeter than a sleeping child. <laughs> just the awake ones are the problem, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. How many of you have sang lullabies to your kids? Okay. How many of you know the meaning to those lullabies? And let me share one with you this morning. Just, just don't go to sleep. Does everybody just feel at peace right now? Listen, I'm gonna need you to just, everybody stand up just for a second please, okay? Just stand up. Look, I thought this through. Give a little stretch if you need to. Get the wiggles out. Okay, now you may take your seat. That may have been the worst moment in preaching I've ever had. But I promise you, it's for a point. How many of you sang Rockabye Baby to your kids? How many of you have studied out the words to what that song is? Here's a few theories that go along with this. One theory is that their heir to the throne, King James II of England, could die and be overthrown. This is what the song was in hopes or anticipation that the child would fall out of the cradle, die, and never be able to take the throne. Now, how many of you feel really good about singing your kid that song right now? Now, there's other theories. Now, maybe this is why psychology has taken such a far advance in our, 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 our children. The other one is this. The early Native Americans wrapped their children and hung them in the tree, creating this soothing motion as the wind would come through. Rockabye, baby. This was kind of this sweet little melody that would take place as they were kind of hanging in this tree in in a a good sleeping fashion, like a hammock, if you will. The third part about this song that people don't really understand is that Ring Around the Rosies. This is connected to the Black Plague. Why are we singing this to our kids? Why, why is this? Now listen, the reality is this. We would sing the, lep, the, the, the words to Metallica Inner Sandman if it make our kids fall asleep, right? Okay. <laughs> But you can't say the lullaby is any worse than that song. But it's interesting. The reality is we were singing these songs and thinking all we're trying to do is create the rhythm that goes with kids falling asleep. But I want you to understand the reality. Most of us in here have rocked ourselves to sleep with the lullaby of sin in our life. We've gotten so complacent with it. We've gotten so comfortable to it that it almost gives us a peace or a knowing of being a part of our life. The reality is the song that have been sang to you, the, the influence, that culture, the influence that Hollywood has taken effect on you and you have now believed that this is a normal part of life and your sin has become this soothing experience for you. Listen, Scripture tells us the exact opposite to go with this. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, the second part, this key verse to us. And I hope by this point, this first word is becoming kind of this exclamation point to you that says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, the understanding for us is that we need to be awake When sin is trying to put us asleep and trying to take a stronghold on our lives, we need to put it to rest and wake up and recognize its existence. It's interesting that if I killed the lights or made this setting super comfortable and began to play elevator music or lullaby music, some of you would fall asleep. Now, for those of us that are a little less trusting that don't fall asleep in a car and don't fall asleep on a plane, don't fall asleep in anywhere where anybody can get me. We need to be awake. So we've been looking at 2 Chronicles. And we'll look in verse, chapter 29, verse 25 through 30. But the history of this is that there was a spiritual awakening taking place under King Hezekiah. This is something that is documented and monumental for the the Christian faith to know that people were turning back to God. And this incredible thing was taking place that King Hezekiah went against his father's leadership and had opened up the temple's. He had set the Passover feast. He had invited the kingdom. He had consecrated the priests. He had made the sacrifices. He enlisted the leadership, the priests and the the princes that they were on board with turning back to God. We come to this place where this huge spiritual awakening takes place. Verse 25 through 30, he starts with this. And King Hezekiah stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres. According, not, when you hear lyres, you think of actual lyres. This is a musical instrument. According to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was for the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with instruments of David and the priest with trumpets. Now imagine this. They were coming together to worship the exact same thing that we just did. They were doing during this time. Then, in verse 27, Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began. Also in the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped. Catch that. There was not one person asleep in the congregation. There was not one person that wasn't participating, that was holding back. The whole place was now worshipping. And the singers sang Just so you know, this excludes me, but I sing anyway. And the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished and the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph and Seir. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed down and they worshiped. I want you to understand this burnt offering was a little bit different from the large number offering that I was telling you about last week. There's a little bit of confusion that comes with understanding what a genuine offering is. The major offering that they were offering was a thousand bulls and sheeps and all these things that would come with it. But a portion of that offering was used to feed those that were making the offering. Now listen, to put this in our context, it's easy for us to offer a chicken if we're going to eat it, right? But imagine in this context, they took a specific amount of animals. Not only did they sacrifice them, they burned them up completely in front of them. Here's the understanding. In this context, there were seven bulls, seven rams, and seven male goats. I want you to understand that this concept goes a little bit further than just the simple sacrifice. This burnt offering was to symbolize we are giving everything, we are holding nothing back. This isn't us giving, hoping to receive something. This isn't a concern for our feeding. This is us making sure that we are now dedicating everything to this sacrifice. Now, this comes into question for us because verse 24 in this passage says, this is to atone for all of Israel. Now catch this, don't go to sleep, I know you got the lullaby in the back of your mind. The reason that this sacrifice was vital, the reason that this sacrifice was so important is because sin had run rampant in Israel for a very long time. King Hezekiah knew that for them to turn back to God, for there to be this awakening that would take place, they would have to all understand they were forgiven of their sins. So during this burnt offering, they would sing praises, praising God, going, God, we praise you for forgiving us of our sins. We cannot believe that all of our sins are now burnt up before us, and we are forgiven. If we truly understand this, this was to point towards Jesus Christ. That would come one day for you and for me. And I love how Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 says this. And by that, the sacrifice of Christ, we have been sanctified, cleansed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And listen to what he says. Once and for all. Catch this where they would have to do this once a year at the Passover feast. They would have to come together and just sacrifice all of these animals. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Listen, if you're carrying around guilt and shame this morning, that does not come from Christ. He has forgiven you. The reality is, the problem is, we have become so lullabied with carrying all of our sin constantly, and Jesus Christ is saying, I died for that. Why carry it? Listen, if you're in here this morning, and maybe you came by us just on an accident or something brought you here, Christ brought you here for this purpose, that you would know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, Look, it's time to quit wasting time, beating ourselves up, trying to make things right. You can't because He already did that for you. But I want you to understand all this comes for a purpose and a reason. The reality is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we would not have to be constantly going back, seeking forgiveness, sinning. He knew that we were gonna be a people that would continue to sin. But he wanted us to quit wasting time on our forgiveness and begin to do the mission and work of Christ. Realize that your salvation was freely given, but there is a responsibility to live Christ so I tell you this morning that it's time to wake up and if you'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 and I really have enjoyed this correlation of 2nd Chronicles and Ephesians chapter 5 and how well they're paired together and he tells us in this first passage he tells us therefore be imitators of God as beloved children catch this The reason that we struggle with sin so much is we try to imitate others. Do you know that everybody in this place is sinful? Can I get an amen on that? Every one of us struggle with sin. The crazy part is we want to judge others for their sin while not looking at ours. (laughs) The church is not functioning to go, hey, let's constantly judge each other or try to make ourselves look better than everybody else. He says, be imitators of God. Now, a whole different standard laid before you. Listen, it would be easy for you to be as good as Jeff Hubbard. Thank you for not amening. You know what the difficulty is? Being like God. He's the standard. One of the things that takes place in a lot of churches is that when something happens with the pastor or the pastor's family, or when something happens with an elder or a deacon or somebody in church leadership, we look at them and we're completely destroyed because we cannot believe that they would fall. The reality is this, we shouldn't have been looking to them anyway. We should have been looking towards God. Look, I promise you, if you are close to me, I will say something that offends you. Look, even this morning, as much as I love Mike Joyner, I didn't do it openly, but I wore my Georgia Bulldog socks. Look, I promise you, we've got to stop looking at individuals and start looking to God as the standard. It's interesting that we look at people because they're achievable. We look at God because it seems like this far off thing that can never take place. But he says, therefore, be imitators of God because he's telling you this is Possible. Paul was doing this. and He says, if we're going to imitate God, there's a few key elements to us. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look, the first thing that you need to work on as a believer, the first thing is learning to walk in love. Do you know the single greatest identifier of a believer is somebody that's loving? Do you know how hard it is to carry bitterness and anger and resentment when you are forgiven? Man, this is one of the greatest identifiers. If the world is looking at us, the main thing that they should see is the love of Christ that has compelled us and has worked in our hearts. But he tells us, when you're going to imitate God, there comes this laundry list, and he picks it up in verse 3. And he tells us, if you're going to imitate God, you need to get rid of sin. And he's very specific. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints then he continues let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving catch this how many of you are under deep conviction after that verse i mean listen let's let's key in on this for just a second We are blinded by these three sins. These three sins lull us to sleep quicker than anything in our society. The first being sexual immorality. Let me give a clear definition of this. This is sexual relationship with anybody other than your husband or your wife, period. Look, The easiest, clearest understanding and definition is this. But we say, well, my wife or my husband is okay with this. God's not. Well, this is how God has made me. This is how God designed me. No, all of us have sin in our lives, but we are to submit those things to Christ, this influence. Think about a TV show that you've watched this week, and, and I'm starting to see this crazy trend that just about every TV show starts with two people making out that aren't married. I'm sitting there going, man, my kids are watching this. At what point do we just pull back everything, and stop explaining to him, and going, listen, this isn't right. But we're okay with it. A fun fact, 10, 15 years ago, Hollywood took a, a, an interesting stance. Do you know that the best way to make people comfortable with something is to make them laugh about it? So you think we can introduce any sexual occasion, anything sexually, as long as we can get them to laugh about it. Look, the church, the people of the church are asleep at the wheel with what's taking place with this sexual revolution in our country. Sexual perversion is at an all time high right now. The porn industry alone is the most profitable business in our world. If you look up statistics, these industries make more money than some countries. And look, Pastor Jeff, I can't believe you're talking about this in church. You want me to be honest? Very few churches are even addressing this. This is why you're continuing in the path of sin. God's put somebody as a truth teller to tell you, stop. You're destroying your life. You're destroying your witness. You're destroying your testimony to people that are around you. Sexual trafficking, homosexuality, people cheating on each other. This has to stop. The next one, I don't know that it's easier, (laughs) impurity. Then right after that is covetousness. How many of you drove past a car that you wanted on the way to church this morning? (laughs) Liars. (laughs) We're not dealing with what I am, but we can make that shift this morning (laughs) if we need to. It's interesting. How many of you want what somebody else has? Man. How many of you have scrolled through a social media post and said, I want to be where they are. I want to eat what they're eating. Do you know what my dinner was last night? A Dairy Queen hamburger and a blizzard. Might explain why I'm fat, but we were coming back from a softball complex and Jessup doesn't have a lot of food options. I can imagine that Me posting a social media picture of my cheeseburger and blizzard, and everybody goes, I want to live Jeff Hubbard's life. (laughs) (laughs) We want so much right now. How many of you want to get paid more? How many of you want a nicer truck? How many of you want a nicer car? How many of you want a nicer spouse? Don't raise your hands, please. (laughs) I said don't raise your hand. (laughs) Counseling appointments will be made available to you this afternoon. Here's the reality. God designed some to be wealthy and some to be poor. Our financial status Does not affect how we live for Christ. Here's the reality. I I get told this every time one of the lottery things gets to over a hundred million or billion or whatever it gets to. Pastor, if I win this, I'm going to give it to the church. (laughs) I go, I've been doing this for 20 years. Not once. Maybe you should stop asking me to pray for you. I'm just saying. But here's the reality. The truth is, if you had whatever you wanted, it wouldn't change who you are. You say, man, I wish I had all of this money. I'd be more of a generous giver to the church. I'd take care of other people's needs. But the reality is, you're not doing that now. Why do you think that's going to change with an influx of cash? One of my favorite docu-series or whatever it is, is How Lottery Changed My Life. If you've never watched any of this, the reality is people get money for three years and are just as broke as they were before. It just, it goes out the window. Here's the understanding. If you spend your whole life Wanting what somebody else has. You don't realize what Christ has given you. If you look at how short this earth is. How short this life is. We as believers live for eternity's sake. Now here's the understanding. I think that you should be wise stewards as God has laid out. If God has blessed you. You need to be wise with that. Look, this doesn't mean that we sit back and we don't work. So you go, well, I'll make it real easy. I don't want what anybody's got. I want nothing. Look, the the trend of being a minimalist is a great idea. But the understanding is we are diligent working for the kingdom of Christ. Don't get lazy in this. And I want to take you to this verse 5 because this one shakes our faith to the core. He says, for you may be sure of this, confident in this statement that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an an, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, take a deep breath on that for just a second. This is a scary statement if you don't understand it. The reality is that anybody who is covetous, anybody who has committed a sexual sin, anybody who is impure has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, to be very real with you, that's every one of us in here, right? This would exclude King David himself This would exclude Moses. This would exclude just about everybody in Hebrews chapter 11, which is considered heroes of the faith. So what do we do with this passage of Scripture? It's defined this way. Anybody who continues in this sin pattern does not have the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Oh, be clear. It doesn't mean that we're not going to covet. It doesn't mean that we're not going to commit sexual sins or impurities. But it means that we don't continue in that path. And here's where the lullaby effect has come in for us. We think as long as we have said a prayer of salvation, we can live However we want to live. Listen, Scripture does not give you that licensure. Right. Scripture tells you the exact opposite, Romans chapter five, verse 20, "My grace is more sufficient than your sin. My grace always covers your pile of sin." In chapter six and verse one, I feel like I would have been in this camp that would say, hey, I think I've figured it out. If we sin more, we get more grace. Anybody with me? Paul's response to that is this. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound all the more? And Paul's two words are this. God forbid This morning, I want you to have genuine hope in Christ that you do not have to continue in the lifestyle of sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the most freeing passage in Scripture. Therefore, we are now free in Christ. Freedom has set in for us that we no longer have to live in it. The reality is Christ has forgiven you, but he has also called you to imitate him. The lullaby effect is this. As long as I'm better than so-and-so, I'm okay. Scripture standard is this. Christ has forgiven you, and he has called you to imitate him there's a paradigm shift in what's taking place in the church today. As long as we attend on Sunday, as long as we give, as long as we do this, we'll be okay. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture lays this out in a clear understanding for us. It's time to wake up and put sin to death. Let me close with this statement. It's time to wake up and take no part in sin. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. I don't do this very often, but I want to be the only one that's looking around at this time. The worship team is gonna come forward, but they're gonna be focused on their instruments with their heads down also. I want to ask you just an honest question. How many of you just by the boldness of slipping up your hand so that I can spend some time this week genuinely praying for you would say, Jeff, I struggle with either sexual immorality, covetousness, or impurity. Please pray for me to put this to death. Would you just slip up your hands just in an honest honest understanding? Listen, over half of the room, you can put your hands down. Look, it should encourage you to know that everybody in this place is struggling with all of those things. But we come together as a body of believers to love on each other, to encourage each other, to help point out in people's lives how we can live for him more. So I would ask you to commit, if you want a genuine awakening to take place in your life, begin to pray this prayer every morning when you wake up. God, help me to imitate you today. Help me to imitate you. Just a simple verse. in Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Be imitators of God. If you want a serious awakening to begin to take place and transform your life, be an imitator of God. Dear Father, I come to you Humbled and thankful for such powerful passages of Scripture. Lord, the more I read of King Hezekiah, the more I understand the understanding of a burnt offering. That this is reckless abandonment. This is leaving it all on the table. This is a genuine commitment to live for you. Father, help us not to just be attracted to the simple sacrifice that still feeds us. Lord, to genuinely fall in love with you. The one who died on the cross for our sins forgave us of those and called us to live for Father, may you be lifted up this morning. May the people that are listening to these words, your scriptures, Lord, be broken hearted in their sexual immorality, in their impurity, and then their covetousness. Lord, help there to be a genuine awakening in their heart, awakening in their soul to know that they should be imitating. Father, be glorified in our lives. In Christ's precious and only name we pray, amen.